I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. I'm so excited about my guest today. Her name is Michelle A. Livingston. Michelle is an internationally known visionary psychic medium and gifted artist. Clairvoyant from an early age, Michelle has the incredible ability to see and communicate with departed loved ones. Michelle has authored seven books, hosted her own radio and TV talk shows and made numerous appearances on many other media platforms. Michelle is known as the People's Medium from her popular guest appearances on the People's Morning Show. Michelle is a healer, counsellor, columnist and ordained minister. She continues to bring messages and soul healing stories to people all over the world and assists people in taking that next step in consciousness to become closer to the creator. This is her story and this is her passion. Michelle, I'm so excited and honored you're on Passion Harvest. Welcome to the show. You know, and Louise, I was going to say the same thing. I'm so excited <laughs> and honored. Um, I see a lot of light around you. And oh. so I, I can't really wait to get started. There's so much to, to talk about today. Well, I can't wait to get started either. I'd like to, it's always nice to give a background and I know you've been um, clairvoyant from childhood. Would you like to talk about that uh, briefly first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I even remember before I incarnated this lifetime, um, wow. I was up in um, another dimension and I remember a circle of beings. I don't know how many they were. Maybe there were about maybe eight and I was in the circle. And all I remember is they were prompting me to come down to earth and to incarnate in uh, central Pennsylvania, because it's a little bit backward with this kind of work that I do. And uh, I really didn't want to come down, to be honest with you. But I remember them pushing me down a chute. And the chute was, I guess, the portal or the tunnel from the higher frequency of where I was to the, the dense lower frequency of the earth plane. Um, I remember being born, but I saw my body from an aerial view. And I remember the tiles in the uh, delivery room being sort of a bright green. And uh, then I remember a cord because when the umbilical cords cut, the soul, as you probably know, attaches with a silver cord at the navel. And that's all I remember. I remember the cord being cut. I was not in my body until the first breath, that's uh, which, which I think we called the breath of life. So I had an interesting um, beginning because my mother was 45 and fell in love with my father who was 50 and a confirmed bachelor. And she had a fibroid tumor the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> and so the doctor said, you have to have this removed when you get back from your honeymoon because you know it's, it's detrimental to your health. Well, when they got back from the honeymoon, and in those days, in the early 1950s, they didn't have ultrasound or anything like this, but they discovered me enmeshed in the uh, tumor. 
And the doctors really cautioned my mother. They said, maybe you shouldn't have this child because we don't, we're not used to delivering a child or cutting a child out of a fibroid tumor. But she had a vision of me. My mother was beautiful. Her name was Dorothy. And she had a vision of me before I was born. And she visualized the world, the globe. And I'm out there shaking my head no. <laughs> As a little baby, it's like, I don't want to come down here. But I incarnated. So she knew I was a really old soul. Uh, and when I was about three, uh, one of our departed, uh, well, one of our uh, family members departed. And um, she was leery about taking me to the uh, viewing because they had an open uh, casket. She wasn't quite sure how I would react. And all I remember is across the room, there was a, a body there and everybody was crying and mourning. And I tapped her on the shoulder. She, she was holding me up. And I, I said, don't cry, mama. I said, the real person is up there. And she was like, whoa, <laughs> this is a really strange child. But um, I incarnated with a club foot and, and a curved spine. And it took them 18 hours to get me out of there. But my soul mission started at that point and developed. So I went on with my life and pursued it. And I'm kind of where I am now. <laughs> um, wow. And I guess, you know, your mother must have fostered this clairvoyance within you. She did. She, she was an old soul. She was clairvoyant, Louisa herself. And she would have precognition dreams. And that just basically means, as you know, pre-knowing. So she dream of something and a week or two later it would happen. But my great-grandmother, which was my mother's mother's mother, was a visionary in central Pennsylvania. And they were called the plain people because they were from a religious group similar to the Amish. I don't know if you've ever heard of Amish or Quaker or Mennonite. Well, they were called the Dunkards and she had the gift, but she would kind of do it on the sly. She was really cute. My mother said she was petite. She was only like four feet eight inches, whatever. But she'd tell people all about themselves and she saw the spirit world. But she said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> because in those days in the 1800s, you know, doing things like that in that really tight religious group was uh, way out there. So I feel that we all have it. I feel we all can do it. I think it's just a matter of awareness. We're all intuitive. And um uh, then I started to uh, paint at the at a very early age, and my mother was so kind with it because she gave me art lessons, and I painted um, through elementary school, and uh, wanted to teach. That was what I wanted to do as a child, just be a teacher. So I went to uh, Penn State here University and and got a degree in art ed, and I was teaching art education, you know, for about ten years, and I just knew there was another calling but I wasn't quite sure what it was. It took a lot of courage to step away from the school district because that was my only income. And I wasn't married at the time. I'm a late bloomer, <laughs> seriously. I didn't meet my husband until I was 40. But you so were hope... waiting for the right person. <laughs> there's hope for everybody out there. <laughs> I'm just joking. But anyhow, it was so uh, funny because I um, you know, knew that there was something more. So when the universe knows you have the courage to move forward, that's when doors start to open. 
And um, I thought a lot about it. And finally I resigned and met a, a professor up at the university and he had moved down to my area, uh, was divorced and we became business partners. He taught me so much about art and I, I started to paint in many different mediums like on rice paper or pastel, on pastel paper. And then we traveled and um, we did art shows. So he showed his artwork and I showed my artwork. But the point I'm trying to make is I think that the artist within me helps me to see clairvoyantly the realms of the spirit world. And I always had it, but I kind of thought it was my imagination. And, and therefore, yeah, um, it's, it, it's all beautiful. I mean, um, what I'm trying to do now is help people heal from loss. There is, um, there's nothing like the loss of a loved one, especially children. Although I never had children, but I counsel a lot of um, parents who've lost children. And um, when they re can reconnect with those they love but have truly never lost, it's, it's my whole mission, it really is. Just to bring hope and to bring some comfort to those through loss. So that's what I'm doing now. And uh, <laughs> well, what a beautiful light worker you are. And I can't wait to dive into this. I just wanted to ask, touch on something you said, which was very important. Uh, when you have the courage to move forward, the universe brings you, offers yeah. you gifts, which yeah. is a very powerful statement. And I believe it's true. But do you mind just explaining that a little bit more? Yes. Um, I think that a lot of us, not, not a lot of us, some of us um, work through fear. And there are two things, as we know, it's not basically dark and light or good or evil. It's basically love and fear. So decisions I feel are either fear-based or love-based. And I was cast into the inner city and it just literally fell in my lap. I had never been in the inner city. I, I grew up in the suburbs and it was a little crazy because I had 650 students a week. And they were out of control, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but uh, I was able to manage them through behavior modification. And that helped me for the first 10 years. I developed that. I just said one time, sit down, be quiet, and, and you'll get a reward. And all, every child just sat down. And I, and I thought, what did I just say? So I developed the program, but I knew in my heart of hearts, it was really time to move on and do something more, but didn't, wasn't quite sure what that was. So there are um, affirmations. We know you can say positive affirmations. There's meditation. I really believe in the power of, of prayer. I mean, I'm really grounded with that, that and meditation. So I, I prayed a lot about it. And I was the only one to leave the, the school district really um, at that time, we're going way back into the uh, early 80s. But uh, then things just started to unfold. And I met the professor, he moved here, and, and then just the things started to unfold. It, it was beautiful, because I feel that the universe um, wants to give us what we love, or if we can get in touch with who we are. Mm. And, and that's, that's a big, uh, sometimes difficult to do. So if you kind of know your mission or you love um, something, no matter what it is, you're kind of drawn into it. And this is where the belief comes in. This is where the, 
I always say that, you know, the heartbeat, your dreams are the heartbeat of your soul. I made that up one time and I, I really feel that what you dream uh, is the uh, essence of your soul. And so it took a lot of courage, but things worked out. Uh, and I never thought between you and me that I'd even be doing th this type of work. And it started very, very simply. I was um, at an expo. And at that time, I was seeing symbols in the auric field uh, uh, around people. And they're just doing little things. And uh, a lady came. This was in Philadelphia uh, Expo. She came just to receive some symbols and so on. And I looked up and I saw a soul uh, next to her. And he was translucent. It was the first one I've, I ever truly saw. And um, he gave me his name and he held up four fingers. And I was, I was really afraid to say anything back then. I just, you know, I was intimidated, but I just said, do you know such and such? I think his name was John. And um, does four mean anything to you? And she said, oh, I have four daughters. And John's my grandfather. Is he here? She's looking all around. I said, I think he's here. So he telepathically started to give me information. And that was my first step into doing this type of work. I was as surprised as she was. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'd love to start talking about how you help people and the type of work that you do. I think you also mentioned you do soul portraits to start with. Yes. With your clients. So, I'd love to hear about that and all the other things. <laughs> okay. Well, um, soul portraits um, started just um, very easily when I do a longer version of a reading and I, I can do them over the phone or, or in zoom or whatever, but I always, um, take eight deep breaths. And, and the reason I do that is to open up portals or channels and I can feel my soul, you know, going up slightly out of my body as loved ones are preparing to come down. But after I say a prayer of protection, I have three angels and uh, they're called the light beings. And, and three, as far as I know, is the number of protection. So no matter where the person is, they'll form a big triangle around us to protect us the whole time. So that only those, you know, for our highest good come mm -hmm. through. They pick up immediately on the person's energy, on their thought forms, um, on their, the way they, you know, their auric field, just who they are and parts of their personality. So they'll place them into a visionary scene. And we call it a soul portrait because it's unique and different for everybody. That's just to get the reading started. Mm -hmm. So I do a verbal um, uh, version and I never know what they're gonna show me. It could be different terrains. It could be different seasons of the year. Animals are in it, sometimes birds, but everything has a meaning. Cardinals can mean the person and their mate, for example, that fly through life together. Uh, emerald green grass is, is the heart chakra. So that means they're a very compassionate person. Or if there's lot, a lot of beautiful shades of blue, like a royal blue ocean, aqua that goes down to aqua or an azure blue sky, that's all communication. Because as we know, that's the mouth and throat chakra. Right. So they're kind of very surprised after it's interpreted because it's basically them and who they're, they are and possibly where they're going uh, on their journey. And then um, I always joke, I say, now, 
does that sound like you? And, and they're like, yeah, that's me. And then I say, well, get ready for the parade of souls. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the parade of souls is about to begin. <laughs> I have to laugh. When I first started this, I get maybe two or three souls. So they know that we're going to be doing this. And sometimes eight show up, eight wow. different souls. So, so is it is it uh, always uh, ancestors or family loved ones um, that show up or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Um, I think it's kind of funny. Don't laugh about this, but the, the, they're crap. I would never laugh at you. I think you're great. <laughs> Oh, this is so wonderful to be yourself. <laughs> Please, this show is really weird, strange anyway. I'm myself. Oh, I just love it. It's, it's a joy. <laughs> but um, the souls are prepped to circle around the person. So I know what, for example, part of the family that they're in. So left side's mother's side, right side's dad's side. In front, a soul could be a child pass. Behind could be in-laws or ex-in-laws. That freaks a lot. Some people out sometimes <laughs> they don't want to hear from their ex-mother-in-law, but you know, I can't pull them. I mean, I can't stop it or pull them down um, or spouses or friends. So they come in behind a sibling might come in slightly behind and to the left or right, depending if they want to come in with mother or if they want to come in with dad. So they work very quickly and it's all telepathic as, as you know, and my, I talk very, very quickly because I'm trying to keep up with all the rapid information. So it doesn't have to be relatives. It can be friends who have passed. It can be great grandparents even that the person hasn't met. And a lot of times research is done because just let's say a husband's side, uh, in-laws come in and I might have a grandmother in-law that the wife doesn't even know the name of. So she'll go back and check that out. And this is the spouse's grandmother, who is actually, you know, let's say a spirit guide of his. So it's quite interesting. And thank heavens, we have it to the point where when they circle, the gentleman's the father or the grandfather, this, this other spirit, this lady is the mother or the grandmother. And so there, it expedites everything. So we're not guessing who's here. We know who's here. Well, you and do. Other, you do. <laughs> And, and the other thing that's really interesting uh, that I found out is the soul retains its consciousness and its soul mind and its personality and even a memory bank. So my voice does not change. I'm sort of a trance channel. In other words, they speak through me to the person. Uh, my voice doesn't change, but my mannerisms change depending on who's projecting or, or speaking through me. Um, if, if a gentleman, say a father, had a lot of pride, he'll come in with his head up, show me his profile. You know, he wants to look younger. Um, if someone wants you to remember them before they passed, if a grandmother was on a walker, she'll project like that just to lead in so that the person knows, oh, yes, my grandmother uh, had poor circulation and she used a walker at the end and then that's gone because there's no pain as we know in the higher realms uh, there's no time and there's basically no space <laughs> so the, time is only man-made down here yes and it's a very that's a very hard concept do they so they're coming with messages for the the person you're doing the reading for for your yes. client well, yes, and, and sometimes it, it's good um, to 
have them ask questions, the person, the client, before it, this whole thing starts. Mm -hmm. Because souls get very excited. And sometimes I'm the referee. And sometimes father's side will try to jump over to mother's side. And, you know, I say, you know, stay back and let's keep some semblance of control, uh, really. But yes, it, it's, it's very interesting. And even pets come through. I mean, they, they try cross the rainbow bridge. So they really so, want to communicate with the... They, they want to communicate. And, 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 and as I said, we'll, we'll go over questions. Some people want to know about their soul purpose. And even though it's relatives coming through, it can also be spirit guides from past lives. And some people, I'm not a medical intuitive, but uh, the angels and light beings can do a real quick health scan. A lot of relationship problems are brought to the surface, um, not getting along with certain family members. So it goes very in depth. It's not just a quick message. It's like, well, I feel you need to do this. And sometimes I wish I would have had that will so that the siblings aren't all up in arms, you know, going in and, yeah. and, and having a lot of dissension. It's, it's very layered and it's very, very deep. And sometimes psychology comes into it. But uh, that's how that works. And honestly, I, Louisa, I've done these 30 years. I don't remember one of them. It's not for me to retain. And I'm just the messenger to quickly get it through and it's gone. As soon as it comes out of my mouth, it's gone. Do you enjoy doing it? Yes. I, and I really enjoy the soul portraits. Now that's the longer version. The shorter version is we cut to the chase and just get the loved ones through. Right. But I do because uh, this is this is a crazy world. And a lot of us didn't want to incarnate here because we come down to learn soul lessons. I, I really feel that. Uh, I feel that we have, as we know, free choice and free will with our soul and, and with what choices we make you know, here on earth. So we have the ability to choose parents to learn and grow with. And at my seminars, people roll their eyes. Why would I choose my mother? You know, yes, there's so much <laughs> suffering. I'm sure you get this question all the time. Why would I come back to suffer? Yeah. Well, it's not even about suffering as much as it is about learning. So um, even sometimes, um, and I hope those that are viewing are open-minded, even sometimes some disabilities are chosen. If that soul needs to learn patience and needs to instill patience in his or her parents or family, a disability will occur. Uh, how are you going to learn to be patient if you're you know, dealing if you're not dealing with someone that's disabled, if someone chooses to, no, this is not for, for perfection. It's for soul growth. Even though we're infinite, we're constantly incarnating if we want to, and we're growing spiritually. So another soul lesson could be tolerance. And then we have trouble with siblings or neighbors or that kind of thing. And we have to learn tolerance of, of others. So there's many soul lessons that we choose. Uh, there, we have our own counsel in heaven. I wrote a book on heaven, which is interesting. And our counsel will go over what they feel we need to learn and what we agree you know, to learn. And so uh, we choose a, a time to come in. And when our soul lessons are learned, we choose, we soul contract a time to exit and uh yeah 
So that that might be new to some people. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. You also mentioned the higher realms where the non-physical live. It's it's not some far off place. It's right here. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is right here. Um, it's a higher, faster frequency. So some people call it, you know, the other side, the next world, the, the fourth dimension. It's really, I call it heaven because it's a higher and it's a faster frequency. And so for souls to communicate, you know, they, like I said, have to store energy and lower down frequency. We're never forced to incarnate, but as we come into the earth plane and have amnesia and forget why we're here, um, when we pass on, we're a little bit, not shocked, but some of us, some people don't believe in an afterlife, for example, and that's fine. But in this book on heaven, my mother, Dorothy, was the one that came through and said, you're going to write a book on heaven. This was like five years ago. It's called Living in the Afterlife. And I thought, how am I going to do that? Uh, she told me what, what she experienced, first of all. So I trusted that. And I love, I love my mother. And um, she said that she rose above her body, very similar, I guess, to the near-death experience. Yes. And she looked down, you know. And um, she said, well, it's my time. And she went through a portal and it was amethyst purple, like a channel or a portal with sparkling lights. And um, she heard her name being called. And when she got through that, it was white light. And she said her, her parents were there. Um, she lost a couple children through miscarriages. The babies were there, whatever. Um, and they said, welcome home. This is the true home, so welcome home. And they had a reunion for her. And then um, supposedly 33 souls, when I say supposedly, there's a life review that we go through. Right. And 33 souls came through from all walks of life to inspire and help me with the book and, and to lend information. So it started with relatives and then some clients who had passed came through a couple celebrities that really shocked me. Uh, one took his life, committed suicide. There's a chapter on suicide. Um, all types of uh, nationalities, I, uh, Asian, African-Americans um, from different time frames, back to the 1700s, uh, up to you know now. And so uh, there's a ley line of energy that runs diagonally, you know, through our home. I, I don't know if you have ever heard of that, Louisa. Ley lines? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, and they're like portals. So when we built our home many years ago, I felt really drawn to this area. And we have like a, a little park in the back. So it's, it's energetic, for anyone that's listening, it's energetic earth energy lines that you're referring to. Yeah, it's like a, a grid or, or a portal in this case for souls to come through. So we have a sunroom and it's right on the diagonal, I call the ley line. So how it started, I would sit in the chair and meditate. And I'd look up at, at, at the, an empty chair across from me and there would be a soul there. Some I knew, some I didn't know. And I did automatic writing, spontaneous writing. I, I'd take a pad, you know, and I'd start to write very, very quickly, almost unconsciously what they were giving me. Uh, and there was a common 
theme throughout these 33 souls. Two thirds of them had experienced the connecting portal or channel. Almost all of them went through a life review except a couple. We do that to objectively view our lives. So we're not judged by an angry God sitting on a throne and it's all fearful and you know this kind of thing. Many people are afraid of that judgment. Yes, they, they are afraid of judgment. And it, it's based in religion and there's nothing really wrong with organized religion because it gives us some semblance of order uh, and hope or, or whatever, seriously. And I'm open to all, to, to everything because it's basically love. So um, uh, I'd look up and there, there would be someone sitting there from Asia and um, she would tell me about when she lived, what she did for a living, her portal was a big golden drum because she was Asian. And when she got through her, her portal, she wanted to meet up with Buddha. Where's Buddha? Uh, so each soul had a different take on who they wanted to see. And also what I found fascinating with doing this is we create our own heavens. We create our own heavens. Um, it can be as simple as loving to fish and we create this beautiful lake or where we're fishing. Um, some want to teach, like my mother, Dorothy, she wanted to teach compassion and love. So she created a beautiful hall, a big hall, where souls that come over possibly that have been abused, there's still a residual of resentment. Even though we shed the physical body, sometimes we carry emotions into the next realm. So she teaches about compassion and love. And um, there are artists that mentor other souls that want to learn art, uh, musicians, composers. Mozart at the age of three composed. So that was honed from the next realm before incarnation. So a lot of child prodigies uh, have learned things before they, you know, before they incarnate, before they take their yeah. first breath. So the environments uh, ran the gamut from a crystal city where the ascended masters were, Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, um, to uh, similar environments that people would feel good with, like a country kitchen or a place that they visited that they long to go back to, they can create. Because as you know, as you know, thought, plus energy equals form. So what we think, we attract. Uh, it may take longer on the earth for it to come to us, but with no time parameters up there, it's instantaneous. And this is what heaven is. I mean, heaven is not about angels. <laughs> I'm sorry, sitting on clouds playing harps. Yeah. <laughs> like you see, you know, in paintings and everything like that, uh, Renaissance. It, Heaven is what we create with our minds. Now, as far as I know, no one was in hell. But there is an area close to the earth plane where souls that are unaware of an afterlife or have done or committed heinous crimes, murders, rapes, you know, terrible things like that, they either sleep for a while in this neutral, it's called the gray area from what I've been told in, in my book. Uh, because we all have to go through a life review. We can never run away from ourselves. 
And um, there's an old saying, we have to see ourselves in, in a mirror dimly lit. And basically what that means is we're going to view our first breath <laughs> to our last breath. And some of the souls sleep for hundreds of years because there's no time. Uh, I don't know of one that burned in hell that came to me, and nor would I want to have one come to me from hell. This is all from the higher, you know, love and light. Because that's the energy you're putting out as well. I guess if you if you were on a lower vibration, potentially you might attract those uh, energies. Yes. Oh, yes. They're discarnate, earthbound spirits. But one lady, uh, God bless her, shocked me. Uh, I was up on the deck out here, but it's it's above where the ley line is anyhow, above the sunroom. I looked up and, and she looked a little bedraggled and she says, I'm Marie. And she told me when she lived and she said, I took my life. And she went back. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because she wondered for a while. She uh, was never taught about anything. And um, she had a very tragic life. She was uh, abused when she was on earth, uh, she and her brother. They didn't have a lot. He died of pneumonia because uh, her parents wouldn't take him to the doctor. Um, I get a little emotional with, about her. Uh, though I've never even met, met her, but I, I, I felt the energy. And at 16, she ran away because she, she was sexually abused as well. And um, went into town and met a young man. And he was, uh, she was 16, he was 18. She didn't know at the time he was an alcoholic. And uh, they ran off and got married because neither one of them had a, a good upbringing background. And they had a little girl. And he disappeared for weeks at a time. And so she had to clean homes or houses uh, to, to make ends meet. And she didn't realize that there was bipolar in her family. She's sitting there telling me all this and I'm writing all this down and keep going and going, writing all this down, where's it gonna end? And what she gave, I didn't realize what she was giving me, but I felt the deep emotion of it all. So to make it all so short, she, um, there was an older couple that befriended her and her daughter. And they were like surrogate grandparents to her, her daughter, who was now a teenager. And she said, I just couldn't take it one day. She said, I was cleaning a house and went into the shed and got a hunting gun and just shot myself. Oh. And she said, I rose above my body and I looked down and I said, Marie, what did you do? I can see, I can hear. And the interesting thing is she floated over to the animals. The horses could see her, the dogs could see her. And they got really, you know, kind of riled up. And she stayed there in earthly time for about five years because she didn't know where to go. So she's floating around the farm and just, and so a heavenly volunteer comes down and says, Marie, you've been floating around here for a while. You need to go up to do some work. And she says, I don't want to work. I don't want to <laughs> work. <laughs> and he said, it's called a life review. You, you need to review your life. Finally, with a lot of, convincing she went up to the light and she said what it was like and she saw her life review and how she was born um, and how she passed she was sorry for what she did but there's no condemnation because it's a choice and um, that's just one story of 33 in the book and it was one of the emotional ones that hit me even though I never met this person the soul this lady yeah um, so they really do run the gamut. Um, so there's, for those that have lost loved ones, there's, 
they're not in a bad place. One shouldn't fear death. No, they're not. The worst place they could probably be is the gray area. So if you think of the earth as, as like an onion, the globe, there are different layers of energy. And the closest layer to the earth is called the gray area. That's where um, murderers, rapists, you know, Hitler, whatever, <laughs> reside for a while until at last, maybe it's thousands of years, they can come up and be rehabilitated uh, and, and, and go through their life review. And um, so as these energy layers go out, they become higher and more beautiful. Uh, the angelic kingdom is, uh, is way out there. It's actually above heaven, if you can believe it. So uh, yeah, and, and they wander aimlessly uh, in the gray area through each other. They walk through each other. They don't know where they are. They're in a way unconscious. But then it's the beautiful love and light. And there's nothing like the bond of love. The bond of love can never ever be broken. Uh, people long to hear from loved ones and they wonder where they are. And sometimes it's so final. Um, it might be a car accident where there's three teenagers in a car. I use that example sometimes. Two pass on and one's left on earth. So the families of the two that passed wonder why there was one left, one friend, when the other two go to heaven. Well, they soul contracted a timeline. And the angels cannot intervene if your soul contracted timeline is up. But, uh, and also people feel a little guilty sometimes, whether it's siblings, parents, there was no resolution to say goodbye. I didn't have time to say goodbye. If it's an accident and they went quickly or a heart attack like that, there's no goodbyes. So they carry that heaviness of guilt sometimes with them. And that's when the soul comes through and says, hey, your happiness is my happiness. You know, please don't feel guilty. I chose and I'm with you and I love you. <laughs> and they pull their energy down on holidays, on our birthday. Um, they love to see us happy. Uh, and, and I know it takes heart, a long time for some hearts to heal. Sure does. I've often I've often heard that when one's grieving, obviously it's a very it's a very natural, but it's a much lower vibration, and it's a lot harder for our loved ones that have passed to be able to communicate and connect with us. Yes, the, the, there's ten different ways they communicate, and um, I had a lot of true stories submitted, and people saw their loved ones, they heard them, they felt them, they felt them. There, there were electrical occurrences that happened. Um, butterflies are a symbol of the soul. So these butterflies would land on them. So I, I wrote a book on um, true stories. It's kind of like chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, there are a few good stories. And there are stories about how each person through loss was aware and able to communicate. So if a digital clock flashed 311, 311, and their son passed on March, 11th, many of them got the aha moment. Oh my word, three and 11, that's my son saying hello, for example. Mm -hmm. Or if a husband passed and a red cardinal would come tapping at the window, cardinals mate for life and they share in responsibility, you know, of raising the young and they work as team players. So 
one lady had the idea, I wonder if that's my husband, not incarnated, but it, <laughs> the, the husband influenced the bird yes. to come to, to her. They can influence butterflies, birds, deer, creatures. So yeah, we're never alone. It's a matter, and you, you know this, of awareness of just how would they communicate? How would they? So if you, if you put your car keys on the, you know, you live alone, put your car keys on the <laughs> counter and you, you lose them a couple times a week and you have a cat, but you know, the cat didn't drag them off. You start connecting dots. Okay, who would move my car keys? Grandpa was a car salesman. That makes sense. He's trying to get attention. He's trying to say hello. So we could do more and more and more shows. I don't mean to monopolize anything, but um, it's wonderful when people uh, connect dots and they have that aha moment that there's love coming down from heaven and that they're trying to say hello. Yes, and... That's wonderful, but grief is still, a, I mean, grief is still a tragic thing and people miss that physical touch. Exactly. Really, there are so many thorns in hearts that I do readings for. A lot of guilt, a lot of questioning. Why was it them and not me? And, and grief follows us through a lifetime because there's nothing like the voice. There's nothing like the conversation a hug, a stroke on the cheek, uh, nothing like it. But we need to realize too that they're in a better place and they're in a place of love. And that sometimes we need to just kind of send some prayers up for them and try to move forward, try to move forward. Because sometimes loss will hopefully not make us victims, but sometimes pe people tend to spiral that way and as you know what we think then more of that happens so if we choose the victim role of spiraling down then more things not lost particularly but you know unusual negative things start to happen and then we get more down so it's about trying to stay positive especially in these times with a, a global pandemic, you know, and that's a whole nother subject. Yeah. Uh, but again, through love, uh, through the basis of love, uh, it's a foundation. And that's where I think faith comes in because faith is knowing something's good that is gonna happen. You don't know when it's gonna happen. You can't see it, <laughs> but you know, it's gonna come your way and eventually it does. Just like the courage to move on, you know, does. I know I'm getting a little philosophical. No, I think no, no, this, this is good. I mean, you also mentioned the power of prayer for you is very um, important. So yes, that's maybe is. another way to move through grief. Yes. And um, I've had souls come through, Louisa, and say, please pray for me up here. I'm going to go through a form of rehab. Uh, viewers don't laugh. <laughs> But there are actually rehab stations in heaven of psychologists, of counselors that worked on earth, but now are in the heavenly realms. So if a child overdoses, for example, it's an accidental overdose with fentanyl, just to say it's laced with fentanyl. And the mother's grieving and has guilt, the shoulda, coulda, woulda. But the soul gets up there and goes through a life review. 
The timeline was cut short because it was an accidental overdose, the soul contracted timeline. But the life review happens and then the soul um, agrees to be rehabilitated. And so that means the soul goes back to the pain it experienced and why it led to a diversion of a substance, no matter what kind of substance it was. And so they become stronger as souls. And again, sometimes they don't want to come back to earth. I know I really didn't want to come back to earth, but I came down to fulfill a mission, a soul mission. Um, so prayers can be sent up for those. That's the point about it. Pray for those that are passed because they need our prayers, especially if they went out quickly, if they went out tragically, if they went out, let's just say an overdose where they're disoriented, they don't know where they are. They're, you know, they're still in that stage of where am I? And many souls can't believe they can still see and hear and feel. And, and um, if I may, may mention something else too. Yes, please. Which I find interesting. Um, I didn't mean to talk this much. I really no, didn't. you're wonderful. You're a great guest. I don't have to do any work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you beautiful. can come back on any time. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. But I had a, a very dear friend and she was a psychiatric nurse and she would hold gatherings of people of like mind, spiritual gatherings. And I just loved her. her name was Carol. She went in for surgery and she went into a coma and uh, she had a living will and she had two girls and they, because of her wishes, were very intimidated about letting her go are pulling the plug and they wanted to make sure that she, uh, that was her wish. So they called me into the hospital and, and I, I told them, I said, please leave the room. And even though your mother is still breathing, let me see if I can contact her soul and see what she wants. Well, I touched her cold lifeless hand in the hospital and I said, Carol, and I knew that hearing was the last to go is the last sense to go. So when someone's in a coma and you visit them, they can hear you. They can hear you. So tell them that you love them. But the point about this is I, I, I looked up and she was on top of the ceiling. And here was the silver cord attached to her solar plexus. And then I looked down and grabbed a notebook because I wanted to get what she was going to tell me. And then I looked over and she was sitting on the empty chair in the, in the hospital room. And she said, tell my girls, I just have my hair done to go to heaven. And it's my <laughs> wish. It's my wish to leave now, she said. Uh, and I wrote this down. I didn't know how they were going to take it. So they came in and, and they said, our mother had her hair done before surgery. She always got her hair done every week. And they thought that was amusing that she had it done to go up to heaven. But interestingly enough, she went on because she's in my book, Living in the Afterlife. And she said, you'll find more paranormal activity in the halls of comatose patients than you will on the battleground at Gettysburg. And I said, Carol, why? Because she said, we're out, out, up out of our bodies and we're wondering, we want to go, we want to go to the light, but we're artificially being kept here. And there's nothing wrong with that. People have a difficult time and that's you know, letting their loved ones go. Mm -hmm. They do. They want to talk to them. They want to feel them. But when you think of the other side of it, the soul is ready to leave 
and is being tethered or held. It's almost like pushing a butterfly back into the cocoon. You know, cocoon's the body. And, and when it's time for the butterfly to emerge, that, that soul wants to come out. But it's like shoving the butterfly back into the cocoon and, and you know, or a baby being born, shoving it back in the womb. So they were so relieved and, and they let her go. And she came and she was one of the 33 souls in my book. Oh, that's lovely. I just wanted to touch on soul groups or soul family. Mm -hmm. um, sure. What, what is that? Okay. So what I learned, which I didn't even know before, I really didn't from, from writing this, is that in the next world, we um, migrate or magnetize to certain souls that we have an affinity with or we, we've had past lives with. So there are, they're called soul groups and there can be up to 5,000 or more souls in a group. And we incarnate with them in different ways. Um, we could be a brother or a sister of one soul to learn certain soul lessons in ancient Greece, let's say. We could be a father or mother of another soul. We could be a spouse, we could be a child. So we come back, not all at the same time, but if you, have an affinity for someone that you meet you've pro they're probably from your soul group if you feel heart light if you feel tr attracted to them and it's a knowing that you know them they're from your soul group not everyone that you pass or uh, cross paths with are from your soul group yeah. uh, if you go to a diner and the waitress is serving you she may not be from your soul group it's the ones that you either don't get along with and having a really hard time with because you're here to learn soul lessons. I do have to laugh because I had an older half sister that was. We, we all have a few of those. <laughs> oh, please, oh, please. I won't even get into that. She was 20 years older and she was my half sister, but I won't get into that. Okay. But we had we had a time of it. Oh, and there was abuse there. But anyhow, um, um, what was I saying? I yeah, got we've, we've got to let that go. <laughs> soul groups. Yeah. So I had a reading and they told me that she was in ancient uh, China with me or Asia and that she stabbed me in the back. So I, ha I, I do tend to have back pain between my shoulder blades. So the point is I probably did not want to come back with her. And now I realize that I chose to and she chose to so that I could learn forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is as powerful as love in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm because it's the ability, it helps us, honestly, more than it helps the other person. It releases us from a bond with them, a negative bond. And that's one of the most difficult things to ever do is to forgive ones that have abused us. So whether we are getting along, which is fabulous, that's a bonus down here, <laughs> or whether we you know, have to work it through for this particular incarnation, those souls chose to be in our life, life. Yes. So, so we rotate and sometimes new souls join. And, you know, it, the other realms are infinite. So it's very difficult to put a number on soul groups. I, I think 5,000 is a pretty good number, meaning that we rotate different lifetimes and so on. And, um, so uh, that's that's what soul groups yeah, are. It's, it's very interesting. You also mentioned there's no time on the other side. 
And many, many people think that everything or have the belief that everything's happening consecutively. All our lives are happening right now. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that's an interesting concept because uh, Seth yes. used, the, used the analogy of the octopus. So the head of the octopus is the true being that you are, but the tentacles are different offshoots of your soul. So I guess, yes, I guess you could be in different lifetimes at the same time. I don't know about the present life that we have now, although maybe if you have deja vu dreams, you could live in France now or somewhere else. I never really got into that part because when I counsel people, they think in terms of finite, finite bodies, finite souls inhabiting finite bodies. So the people that I counsel are, you know, just learning. They're, they're learning about all this that they don't know about it. They never heard maybe about it. So it's elementary. And I, I could get into Seth or, you know, whatever, but I don't know if they would understand that concept. Sure. Um, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, but I believe that we're with God, that the main soul, we're all sparks of, of, of this love. Basically God is love yes. and love wanted to reproduce itself. So love sparked this out eons ago. You already, you just answered my next question. I was going to say, well, what is there? A, is there an end point? What is the point <laughs> of it all? <laughs> uh, the point of it all is to bring love down here. The point of it all is to learn compassion. The point of it all is to come down with courage, knowing before you incarnate that you're going to have a pretty rough time. Uh, people that would incarnate in ghettos, for example, they know that they're going to be uh, in dire poverty, that there's going to be substance abuse, that they're going to be abused or mistreated, whatever. But they, it's not karmic that they did that, I don't feel, to others in the past life, but they choose to come down to experience this because we have to experience everything. We have to experience all of these things. It's not really suffering as much as it is learning. You know, why is my child autistic, for example? Why do I have this leukemia um, or breast cancer? Or, you know, or why did I choose this? So it's a matter of trying to be aware, trying to open up, trying to say, why did I choose this lifetime? And education is important, you know. What Teaching. can I learn from this experience? Yes. Is there a point that we've learned as much as we can and we no longer need to return to the physical realm? Yeah, I, I, I think there is a point. <laughs> I think the Christ consciousness would be a point. Uh, Buddha consciousness, uh, the ascended masters, when they work with pure, unconditional love on earth, forgiveness and compassion, there is nothing else to learn, see? The lessons have been taught to them and they're willing to accept them and they're willing to teach others about them. And so they no longer need to incarnate um, and this is kind of where the crystal city comes in, which is fascinating, where different ascended masters have their habitats and you can go and study with them. But the basis for all of it is basically love. That's the basis for each and every ascended master. 
It sounds so Pollyanna, but it's true. You know, if you can say that you love everyone in this world unconditionally and that you forgive everyone politically, religiously, I mean, seriously, uh, then you no longer incarnate because you've, you've learned tolerance. You've learned humility. You've learned all these things and you, you, know, you don't have to come back. We don't, we're never forced to come down. I think I was a little pushed. <laughs> you had big, some, some big work to do. Yeah, it was. I almost died several times in early childhood too. Gosh. I've asked all the questions. Is there something you'd like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? I would say uh, to love yourself, which is difficult. To try to, to love others, which is also difficult. Guard your thoughts our thoughts are things. So we create uh, what we think. It goes out and it returns to us. Uh, always be kind. Kindness is some, synonymous with love. And um, that's it. <laughs> Center yourself. Go within through meditation. Reach out through prayer. Um, pray for those in, in the light. And pray for those that are in the gray area to get up to the light. And um, yeah, I have my little paper here. I think, what did I, I read, right? I, I wrote, love with compassion, strive to be happy, guard your thoughts, that's important, and always be kind. So that's what I would give to your viewers. And um, sorry that I monopolized, it. didn't mean to talk that much. I kind of No, this, this episode's about you today. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. Honestly, I'm so honored, I'm so excited to be on your show. And there's so much to go over, so much to talk about. I know. Uh, you're so easy to um, to talk to. Elisa. Thank you so much, Michelle A. Livingston. It's been such an honor that you're on Passion Harvest. And if anyone's looking to connect with you, all your details will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. God bless. <laughs> God bless you too. Bye. -bye. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.